0: Welcome to the fifth instalment of the Talent Summit Back to Basecamp podcast series. We've invited some of our most influential speakers and special guests back to Basecamp to share their insights and thought leadership as the working world transforms at pace as a result of the COVID crisis. This series will explore how HR leaders can affect a more robust recovery while enhancing the working lives of their people. I'm Robert Smigula-Fodrig, founder of Talent Summit and CCO of Sigma Recruitment. Joining me in base camp this week, we have Bob Gibbs, Associate Administrator, Mission Support at NASA. Heath Slawner, Igniter at Simon Cynic Inc. and former Irish rugby captain, Rory Best. This week, we examine pride and purpose. As the lines between work, family and society mesh, the work type and workforce we value most has come sharply into focus, asking the question of us all, what is it that we stand for? Welcome back to Basecamp for our fourth installment of talent summit series. Uh, This week, we're going to examine pride and purpose. And I think it's fair to say the lines between work, family and society have have, have meshed um, and morphed a lot uh, in recent weeks. And the work type and workforce that we value has come sharply into focus, um, asking the question of us all, uh, what is it that we stand for? And I'm often reminded of uh, not just frontline workers who are highly skilled and lowly paid and quite deservingly um, um, uh, should get and should be uh, much more valued in society. And also those delivery workers in many ways who have been described as being precarious are now being titled as being essential workers. Um, And then the other thing that I'm reminded of daily is with the amount of dodgy haircuts I see that barbers uh, should really be categorized as essential workers. Welcome to everyone um, from uh, all locations. We have people from over 25 countries around the world tuning in. You're all warmly welcome. Joining us this week is our good friend, uh, Bob Gibbs, who's Associate Administrator from NASA. Um, Tuning in from D.C., Um, Bob will speak about how NASA's enduring purpose and global collaboration has led to this week the historic launch that yesterday was postponed, which we will cover, uh, and how the values led to the the decision uh, to push that launch back yesterday, the first human launch on US soil for over a decade. Welcome, Bob.
1: Sorry for the delay. Um, Thank you, Robbie. Very very glad to be here. Um, Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Excellent. I was nearly going to ring. Houston, probably the problem there, Bob. The first of many. Uh, Also looking at how to reclaim our why. Uh, Joining us from Montreal, uh, Heath Slaunner is an igniter with Simon Sinek Inc. And a global thought leader on where influence, trust, and leadership intersect. Welcome, Heath.
2: Thank you so much for having me, looking also forward to the conversation today. Thank you, and welcome everyone from around the world. Thanks, Heath. And to explore pride
0: and purpose, and what that means from a leadership perspective and for teaming, uh, I'm joined by Rory Best, a legendary Irish rugby captain, to tap into his 14 years experience, his 124 caps, his 63% success rate in leading Ireland out onto the pitch for 38 games, which led Ireland to a string of historic achievements, uh, including our first win uh, against South Africa, our first two wins against New Zealand, a grand slam in Twickenham, which saw Ireland climb to be the number one ranked side in world rugby. And most recently, uh, the third most productive um, best on the family farm of the three working there. Welcome, Rory. (laughs) Thank you very much. Quite an introduction. Uh, I haven't finished yet. Um, I'll come back to it, I'll come back to it. Uh, I think we've just dropped Heath, we'll zoom him in in two secs. Bob, I'll begin with you if I may you joined us last year at talent summit and uh i don't know if you remember you actually produced this document on stage it was a falsified um letter to regret my application uh for an astronaut position um and later that evening uh over dinner um later on that evening uh you also turned around to julia uh who's really the the, the muscle and the brains behind uh, talent summit and you told her you had something for her as well. I was expecting another letter of rejection on nice NASA headed paper to emerge. You put out your business card and you gave it to her. So what's the deal with falsifying my application falsifying and try to help us up? And to head with us up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just so you know, we selected our next astronaut class. We're in the process of doing it. And regretfully, Robbie, <laughs> once again, you were unable to measure up to the standards that we have set at NASA. <laughs> Um, it's um, I'm informing you now that regretfully, again, you have been unsuccessful in your attempt to join the Astronaut Corps. And I think it's more than obvious to anyone who's ever met Julie and worked with her that they understand where the brains of this organization truly lie. So I think those two things remain constant.
0: For sure. Just keep your hands off her. Um, Bob, good to see you. Um, looking at the rich history in NASA in making the impossible possible. Um, how do you think your purpose has, has enabled your response, say, to the COVID crisis or to what you guys have gone through in the last number of weeks and probably moving somewhat from a mission driven organisation to a people driven organisation and, and what of your values was tested most?
1: I think, you know, to dismiss the elephant in the room, uh, yesterday's launch was a great demonstration of our values or the postponement of yesterday's launch. If you really want to test your commitment to purpose, to your, to your why, to the things you find important, do it with the whole world watching. Do it when a lot of your country's leadership is there on site with you and something you've worked very hard for 10 years is on the line. If you really want to test and find out your commitment to value and to purpose, in this case, to safety, um, do it then, you know, do it with the world watching. And I think we did. I, you know, I honestly see yesterday's postponement as a success story in a lot of ways from a leadership perspective. We were willing to walk our values. We were willing to stand behind the talk that we always have about safety and people first. You know, within my organization, the Mission Support Directorate, you know, we always talk about mission first, but people always. You know you have to remember what makes us different what drives our purpose our people you know when you're talking specifically about COVID 19 um you know we always i think last time we talked about work from anywhere when we were together well as you can see i'm I'm working from my wood shop in my house or on the road or in the office or at one of the centers we work from anywhere you know Um, that is a principle that we adhere to um right now but Leaning in and for the benefit of others, another one of our values, you know, we developed a ventilator in five days. Two employees said, hey, you know what? We can build a positive pressure ventilator that we can mass produce to help take some of the pressure off the American healthcare system. So employees at JPL developed the ventilator Um, within five days. It was in testing within 30 and it was already ready to be produced. Uh, We developed a waste using the technology we've developed at NASA you know, we were looking at ways to disinfect large volume spaces, whether it be hospital rooms or ambulances, and we've come up with a process for doing that using some of those technologies. We had, you know, we started a challenge amongst our workforce, where in a little over a week, we had over 400 ideas to help with COVID-19 response, which were eventually down selected to a handful that are now being pursued, not only in the public space but in the private industry as well so there's lots of examples of of us living our values through the COVID 19 response but i think you know what set nasa apart or ahead however you want to say that was the principle of work from anywhere and we would already been living and experiencing that
0: nice and i remember when we were last together uh, we we're talking about um remote working and uh somebody was with us uh they'd work for us up by where you are rory and they said, oh, yeah, we have a really highly remote workforce, you know. So Bob just said, look, lads, we've got people on the International Space Station. I think we win, hands down. Um, so, so, so so, I take that point. Um, when we talk about purpose, he, uh, Heath and I spoke about it and just how long it's been a concept and it's something we need to remind ourselves of constantly. But the one story that's often brought up is the famous story of JFK walking in NASA and seeing The janitor and asking the janitor, what is it you do? And he says, well, I help put people on the moon with such a lofty purpose of enhancing humankind, Bob, how do you ground that in a practical way with like like 18,000 employees every day?
1: Yeah, I think it has to be something that says commitment starts with leadership, you know, uh, from the very beginning to the very end. Everyone has a role at NASA and we're all pulling on the rope in the same direction. You know, we're all aimed at at that goal of trying to get the first woman, the next man to the moon by 2024. And everyone has a voice. You know, I think we have very strong processes and practices which values the individual, which values the, every person that has to come to work in a very specific way. We recognize that they're people and they're bringing themselves to work and to get the best from our folks, which we absolutely positively must have. You know, the science is too demanding, failure options, when you're talking about exploration, some other things are too dramatic um, to not get the best from everyone for us to accomplish our mission. So, I, but I think it starts, you know, with the employee's engagement, commitment to the mission, and then leadership honoring and respecting their employees.
0: Nice. We we'll come back to some of that, and we we'll tease that a little bit further right, so we'll in, to in to a while. Thanks, Bob. Heath, good to see you, um, and thanks, Emil, for uh, the spirit in which you've engaged with us. Uh, it's been uh, really, really impressive, uh, and I appreciate you joining us uh, from uh, Canada. Um, You speak, Keith, about the golden circle principles, um, and Simon Sinek uh, speaks about it also. Just briefly, what are they and where have you seen them brought to life best most recently since the COVID crisis?
2: Well, um, you are absolutely right. Uh, The golden circle, the principle, it's an idea that Simon himself discovered about 10 or 15 years ago. And then, of course, the book Start With Why came out. I think we're in the 10th or 11th anniversary this year. And the, the, the premises are the simple ideas that we operate on three levels. There's what we do, there's how we do it, and there's why we do it. And the clarity of the why, the clarity of that purpose, and Bob was just speaking to this. You know, I mean, I didn't even know about the ventilators and the disinfection. So I would say that's a great example of an organization pivoting and living its why, even while it can't do some of the other things that it was used to doing before. Um, and so the clarity of the why, back to the golden circle, it's the clarity of the why that distinguishes the most successful, the most innovative, the most imaginative, and perhaps the most enduring organizations from everybody else. And this also applies to individuals. The most successful and inspiring leaders are the ones who have a clear sense of their why. And I just brought this little sort of image right here. It's a little backwards, so you probably can't see it, but just imagine three circles, the what, the how, and the why, the most inspiring leaders they communicate from the inside out. And it is those organizations, those institutions, those individuals that we choose to follow because we believe what they believe. And so in terms of examples, some of the things that we've been seeing, I mean, local examples, I think in every single person's community, there is a restaurant that has pivoted to, you know, a grocery sort of a a pop up grocery store, or they've done some sort of like delivery that they weren't doing before. And so you see, you know, certain organizations, gyms have now pivoted to go online because gyms are not in the business of equipment, they're in the business of helping people get become healthier, get fitter and so in the United States there's a great organization called Barrys Barry's Bootcamp. They used to have to go to Barry's to train. Now they're doing it online. they're doing it virtually they have classes and they have sometimes hundreds if not thousands of people tuning in at any one time. Peloton is another example of the same thing. You see uh, not just restaurants and gyms, but you see hotels in New York City, the Four Seasons you know this luxury brand you know, they're wise to create memorable experiences, to make people feel special, to give them a home. What have they pivoted to? They've pivoted to providing housing for medical professionals, for the frontline medical professionals, because they can't go home. Because if they go home, they're gonna infect or potentially infect their other family members. So the Four Seasons is housing medical professionals. So I think Mm -hmm. some of these are great examples of organizations that have pivoted i mean you hear about google and microsoft and even unilever trying to figure out ways how can we be sustainable even through COVID, even through the coronavirus um and then there's also a lot of examples b corps like lisa they're a mattress company okay what's a mattress company well their why is to make good in the world and so they figured out a way how can we how can we build mattresses quickly just as bob was and NASA was trying to figure out how can, we, um, how can we build those ventilators two days, five days, get them in production in 30 days. Lisa has figured out a way to um, build design and build mattresses and, and produce them and get them into hospitals for patients who are suffering from COVID who need to be a little bit elevated for their breathing. So I think we're seeing examples locally, I think we're seeing uh, examples nationally, and I think we're seeing examples internationally and they're all around us. And I think if we open up our eyes, we can see organizations are saying, you know what, I may not be able to do what I was doing before, but I can still, or we can still live into our why and bring our purpose to life in other ways.
0: Nice, nice. You remind me of a story now, a, the context is slightly different, but uh, in rat Mines here in Dublin, not far from where I live, Heath, uh, there was a pizza joint and it was just opposite the Garda station, if people know that junction. And one night a car drove through the traffic lights and drove through the front window. The next day they erected hoarding and changed the signage and they said, now doing drive-through. And I thought it was a good example of a pivot to deal with the context. Um, For most of us Heath, for most of us at the minute, it's really a question of survival. And when I think about what we're all focused on, we're talking to Rory about this a few moments ago, it's about the head down, the here and now and getting through this. Um, And we're not all NASA, uh, which you respect, Bob, and uh, we don't all have this enduring purpose. And there's a time for head up and there's a time for head down. How can we move in the short term to reclaim our purpose or to to, to connect what matters most now to something that's enduring?
2: Yeah, so... You know, we have a process at Simon Sinek where we talk about the why discovery and what's interesting about the why is it really is, you know, we think of purpose and cause and belief and, you know, what are we fighting for? The why is also an articulation of who we are when we are at our best in service to something bigger. So you think about NASA, that enduring mission to enhance life on planet Earth. You think about Google organizing all of the world's information. It's who we are, who they are when they are at their best. And we think of the why as an origin story. The why is usually something as an individual, Is developed in our late teens or early 20s. It's an origin story. It is born from experience. And so one of the best ways to think about, you know, reclaiming that why is thinking about in the past, when have you been at your best? COVID or no COVID? Coronavirus or no coronavirus? When has your organization, your institution, your community been at its best? And I think we've seen examples in the last few months. If you can remember a couple of months ago when the shelter in place began, you started to see people helping their neighbors. You started to see people reaching out to vulnerable people. (laughs) I'm going to go get your groceries. These were all examples of who we are when we're at our best in service of something bigger. So I think it's really about looking when have we been at our best, those moments, those peak moments. And how can we repeat those moments into the future?
0: Well said, and well articulated Heath, uh, I, I think of the greater purpose, I think of sports and I think of Ireland and I think of uh, when one person Rory was at his best, but let me come back Rory when you weren't at your best, if I may, uh, good to see you Rory by the way, uh, how's Jody and the kids? Oh they're all very
3: good, homeschooling,
0: all of that and I'm trying to stay to their way. And you're standing in as PE teacher I believe? Trying to, uh, that's my yeah. contribution. No better PE teacher. Um, We last saw you, Rory, at Talent Summit in Dublin, where you uh, were the recipient of the Dermot Costello Outstanding Leadership Award. And my colleague, Aidy, he asked you five questions about you. Um, Do you remember what score you got out of five? Did he get three? No, and I'm gonna add that one to the tally. So that's now three out of six. Uh, You got two out of five. And knowing that, and knowing that's what I was dealing with, I had to go and buy your book to get the fact. <laughs> it's been a phenomenal read, a phenomenal read. And uh, congratulations on it, uh, and commiserations about the timing of it. Uh, but it's amazing. I haven't been able to put it down, Rory. Um, and there's so many, so many parallels and lessons for business uh, in the book. Uh, I really found it fascinating and discovered a huge amount about you, in fact. And not in a, the way I expected, um, I felt I got to know you and what you stood for in many ways and obviously having followed followed you and the Irish success over recent years it kind of I was reading about the Lions experience and I think listening to what Heath was saying there around that kind of that that, that that higher sense and I think of missionary when I think of that and, and, and that's very clear to me when you put on the green shirt you represent your country the discretionary effort that that drives is nearly missionary like and then when I see a Lions set up, Rory, you're taking the elite from four countries and you're putting them together for a short sprint. It's more like a missionary, sorry, a mercenary. It seems more like a mercenary drive. Is the motivation different when you play for the Lions and having captained them, how do you get the best of that disparate group in a short space of time?
3: Um, I think it's the Lions
0: really probably in the
3: modern world, the tourism order pressures now the all your competitions get going longer so it's the it's becoming more dense which is pressure get the note and ultimately you get people behind them because your sense of there's a history there's a tradition. With the land. you want to be the best, you, you want to keep this record, in and consider it ultimately it's not easy to do. Um, so when you factor you, in all of that, that's the motivation You're dealing with additive errors that top not be the best age. Um, so when I did find that. Things that, and you have to, is that
0: there, I just haven't said. I can't really hear you. Um, okay. sorry. Just try it there one more time.
3: Can you hear me now? Better. Yeah. Um. So basically, there's a real. You have to keep the lines. The guys, starting there used to be players. No, for their company. Rory, you're
0: just coming and going there a little bit. Could you just take a quick look at your sound? I'll come back to you. we pick up on that uh, in two minutes. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a million, Rory. Bob, I'll come to you. Um, I want to talk about collaboration, and I want to talk about teaming. Um, The International Space Station is a world-class example of true global collaboration for the benefit of humankind and its origin. Um, Like... unbeknown to me up to recently was a collaboration between former enemies in fact so it was japan it was russia it was canada it was europe uh, and the us coming together to collaborate how did nasa begin to kind of shift that mindset of national competition to one of global collaboration in spite of all the economic climate
1: yeah so um yeah I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great example, I think, uh, uh you know, when you really look at the collaboration as opposed to competition, although there is some of that as well, you know, we have over, today we have over 150 international partnerships and we're working on the Artemis Accords to help govern principles right now of how space will be used for, lex- for exploration going forward and many, many other examples of things that we have to work on i think it gets back to your why and your values and your purpose remember one of the things of nasa whether you're yeah. talking about human exploration yeah. science technology or aeronautics it's for the benefit of all yeah. you know it's one yeah. of our core principles and living those principles every day you know we're doing remarkable things with the international space station and many other projects and programs throughout the agency But it kind of has to start with, you know, understanding and believing and behaving with in accordance with those principles of for the benefit of all. Um, I think it's a it's a great example of what can be done when you cooperate and when you kind of, you know, put some of the national boundaries down and look for the betterment of mankind, you know, to improve the human condition to do all of these things. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty neat thing. We've had folks living and working continuously for over 20 years on the international space station. And as we look to expand these partnerships to include commercial and others, um, you know, I think it's a really neat, neat thing. That is a great, it's a great demonstration of what can happen. What can be done when you put some of these other issues aside. Um, I really couldn't hear Rory, you know, um, earlier, unfortunately, the audio is fading in and out. But I think he's also an individual, as an individual, a great example of, you know, putting religion and region aside for a common purpose. Uh, You know, I think the achievements that he's been able to accomplish uh, through sport are truly remarkable.
0: Thanks for that. Bob and I'm reminded of like collaboration and like even looking at like the context of this discussion, like the world of work and um, how we how the supply chain of talent is becoming much more um, disparate and different ways of working, work type, workforce, location, remote, all being thrown into the melting pot right now. And how we look to reconvene and um, we put a heightened focus on collaboration. Uh, and i think there's a huge amount of insights say into the way you guys look to collaborate but if i look specifically and beyond the international space station because i think it's symbolic in so many ways into your own talent supply chain and you guys pretty much had a monopoly in nasa up to about 20, 15 years ago with a number of private sector entrants, SpaceX, Virgin, um, and Blue Origin and so on. And, and, and there was a race for talent within your sector, but you've also shifted from that kind of competition to, to now looking at your supply chain of talent to partner with them. And I think that resulted this week, I think, was it SpaceX? They made the the, the, the craft to bring the NASA um, astronauts um, up to the International Space Station. How has that collaboration come about, and what does that mean to how you look to partner? And what can we learn as our supply chains of talent evolve as we recover, Bob?
1: I think what you were asking me, I have a little bit of trouble there with the stream. Um, I think what you're asking me about, how did the collaboration come about? Well, it's It didn't happen overnight. You know, it took over 10 years of effort, of dedicated effort, of collaborating, of questioning how you do business and looking for a better way to do business. You know, it almost relates back to what we're going through today uh, through COVID-19. And is it a question of really surviving or is it a questioning of leveraging these opportunities to learn something and move forward as an organization? Um, I will tell you, I see it as as an opportunity um, as we work through these issues to move NASA forward in how we work and the way we work and the things that we do, you know, um, you know, any organization has the same opportunity today to kind of look at themselves and say, is there a better way to do business? You know, it's that restless reinvention principle. Um, and I think for any of the folks in HR that are on this call or having this kind con- of listening to this conversation, there's a great opportunity if you look at the organizational structure and dynamics and see how people truly interact, and how they work, and how they relate, and the things that they do. Um, You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be building a spacecraft to go to the moon, and then the next one to get us beyond the moon and to Mars. You know, it could be anything, any product line, but it's an opportunity to really look how people, and it gets down to the people issue, um, how they interact. I think we discussed earlier that You know, transformation is here for every organization. There is no question, at least from my perspective, but you always have to remember while maybe an organizational purpose or goal, it happens on an individual basis. And everyone goes through this a little bit differently. And say yesterday, for example, like in terms of the decision
0: not to go ahead with the launch. So was that a joint decision between SpaceX and NASA and how do you look to kind of form that purpose? How do you look to kind of form that amongst purpose comp- competitors? Amongst comp- competitors,
1: yeah, it's it's an interesting organizational dynamic because it is competition on some level and it is collaboration. Um, the decision yesterday, we can get into a little bit of the technical side of it. Um, you know, uh, it's again living through the principle of safety. Uh, the the launch itself is timed. It's called an instantaneous launch window. And what we're really talking about is you have till that time, at that time, to launch. And a lot of that has to do when you're loading propellant at a certain temperature into the rockets to ensure rocket performance to get you to rendezvous with the space station. As that propellant warms up, you decrease or degrade the rocket's performance uh, uh, over a period of time. Additionally, another part of that aspect its not just the weather at the Kennedy Space Center, right, at Launch Pad 39A, where SpaceX was launching from. It's a launch. It's the weather that's occurring in the entire area, because you also have to look at recovery in case something goes wrong. We have to be able to recover folks. You have to be concerned with ground crews that are loading the propellant. There's a lot of safety concerns that go into it. There are three or four weather principles rules that we have that would have been violated if we would have launched. And here's the interesting thing from a values or from an organizational perspective. Well, we are all disappointed it didn't go off. Not one person in NASA was like, oh, we should have launched. I have yet to hear that on any conversation inside our walls. It's just, hey, that's, you know, we've waited 10 years, we'll wait three more days till Saturday at 322 to hopefully get our next shot at it. And if it doesn't work on Saturday, we'll look at the next window, which I believe is Sunday. So it's, again, a demonstration of values.
0: Nice one, Bob. And you actually remind me of something that you, you spoke very vocally about, which was assuming positive intent and it certainly be my experience in dealing with all your colleagues. Rory, welcome back. We have you now, loud and clear, I think, do we? I hope so. I tell you, that's some technical team you have. Uh-huh. Um, good to see us. So, so Bob mentioned competition and collaboration, and just zooming back to the question around the, the missionary mercenary effect of going from wearing the green shirt to representing the Lions, motivation, getting the best from that group. Yeah, you were just explaining that to us when I lost you.
3: Yeah, I think that ultimately Do we again?
0: just keep on going for one second. We we, we should okay. have you. Um I
3: think ultimately comes down to the their their they, they're And you know, you're going dealing with their countries and putting them together. And
0: it's the that that. Roy, I'm afraid we're having the same, the same, the same thing. Um, I'll come back to you in, in, in two minutes if that's okay. Heath, looking at the why, what, sorry, the why, how, what principle. Um, yeah. What happens between our people matters most. Uh, we had Margaret Heffernan, the TED speaking author, on uh, last week, and she talks a lot about kind of social capital and how we look to uh, create that willingness to go further for each other and how much friendship matters when the chips are down okay. um we've all been in the same storm but not necessarily in the same boat um how do you believe we can reconnect with deeper empathy and to allow our people rise for longer
2: i, I want to pick up on uh you mentioned the boats it's something i've been thinking about and sort of we're weathering the storm but we're not all experiencing the storm in the same way and I think if you continue with that metaphor or that analogy of the boat what do you do when your boat is fine you're seaworthy and you come across another boat that is you know bailing themselves out and trying to just you know get keep, get to shore what do you do you stop and you help you sacrifice, you give of your supplies and of your resources and your time and your energy so that other people can advance. So I, I think it really starts with this idea of selflessness, not selfishness, but selflessness. And we always define leadership. And this is how I think of leadership is not about being in charge, but taking care of the people in your charge. And when you think about leadership in that way, you do not need a title. You do not need a position. You do not need a rank. In order to be a leader, you can lead wherever you sit, you can lead wherever you stand. You know, a child can be a leader within a family, even if you're willing to take care of your younger brother or your younger sister, or even be there for your parents when they need you. Um, So I think it starts with this idea of selflessness, and then we continue it and deepen it with a sense of curiosity about other people's experience. And I think we saw this at the beginning of COVID. We saw this at the beginning of the coronavirus when we were sheltering in place. People were really putting themselves out there. What can I do? How can I help? They were volunteering. They were doing things that they weren't maybe even thinking they were capable of doing, but they were putting themselves out there. And I'm afraid, and this may sound a little controversial, that in the last few weeks, people have reverted back to what's in it for me. How can I win? What can I get? I'm not saying everybody, but there are plenty examples out there of people who have like, well, I'm kind of tired of this whole COVID thing. Let me go back to the way things were before. And we've seen things on the news, but to deepen the empathy, it starts with selflessness. You have to have a genuine openness and curiosity about other people's experience. Because I think it's easy for us to sort of like stay inside of ourselves. How can we get outside of ourselves? And you know, it's about taking care of the people around you. I always ask people the same question during my talks and workshops is, what are you doing today that make the people around you better? And I think every single person on this planet has an opportunity to answer that question. It doesn't matter if you're head of a big company or you're a member of a family or a member of any kind of institution. If you're, if you're part of something, how are you making the people around you better? Um, and I just want to do a, a quick shout out, Bob. I loved your phrase around, you know, you said mission first, people always. I, I think that's just something that we need to all keep in our back pockets uh, when it comes to empathy.
0: You mentioned for everyone on the planet, including those off the planet on the international space. And yes, we, need course, and we need to be inclusive of here. We need to be inclusive here. We need to be inclusive. I'll just finish this before I go back to Rory. Um, Heath. Um, I mentioned at the outset the the know the kind of the interconnectivity between, say, uh, personal lives, family, society. Um, do, do you think we need to think differently about our professional purpose? Is it a personal thing uh, or, or, or does it look different given the context in which we find ourselves?
2: Yeah. You know, in, in terms of our context, the context has shifted, right? So many people have been working from home for the last eight, 10, 12 weeks. And so they're starting to see, okay, what does remote working look like? What does being around my children look like? And I've heard from plenty of people who love it. And I've heard from an equal number of people who can't wait to get back to the office. But I think the question is a relevant question, which is what is my why, what is my purpose? Because you use your why as fuel. You use your why, your purpose to fuel you. You use it to make decisions. You use it to surround yourself with people who believe what you believe because those who are clear about their why are able to get other people to follow them. So if you're living one why at work and another why at home, you're going to find yourself in some kind of dissonance. We always say if you're living one purpose at work and one purpose at home, you're, you're not showing up in one of those places. So we think of the why as a global purpose, a global cause. It's who you are at your best during the day, at night, on the weekend, during the week. It really shouldn't matter with friends, with strangers, with colleagues. And so we're just urging people you know, as they're kind of working from home and the context has shifted. I'm hoping that people are doing a little bit of a re-examination mm-hmm. of like, what is it that i actually believe in what is it that i'm willing to fight for what is it that you know inspires me to wake up in the morning and i think a lot of people are asking themselves that question because when the return to work start when we start normalizing return to work i think a lot of people are going to be like do i want to go back to a place 10 hours do i not want to be around for my child's this or my children's like it's a big question i think so if to tap into, just to wrap it up, to tap into our discretionary energy, I think we need to appreciate the fact that our why is sometimes, is, is a global concept for ourselves. It's, it's at work, it's at home, it's on the weekend, it's during the week. It's, it's something you can live into always.
0: Yeah, I think to be at our best when times are at their worst, full stop. Uh, probably wraps that up. Thank you for that heat. Rory, time is a charm, and I see you've got the headphones in. How are we sounding now? Oh, I hope we're all right, are we? I tell you, was it the question? Well done. That, 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 that's, that, that's real agility, yeah, to avoid a question. So, so again, you're just about to explain to us, just, just briefly, about the, uh, the difference between the Lions and the Irish.
3: Yeah, I think that ultimately, the guys have talked all about purpose. Whenever you play rugby, you grew up playing, you want to play at the highest possible level and the British and Irish Lions are the pinnacle so to get that opportunity you have a lot of hard work you've had to put in you've had to been lucky and ultimately you get on that tour and it's not enough just to be on the tour because you're a competitive animal you want to be playing your best rugby on the biggest stage and that's what the Lions gives you and that's why in such a short period of time, you can pull together the best players from four countries with the United purpose to go to New Zealand, South Africa, Australia and win a test series. The balance of that is that ultimately you're dealing with guys that in their club are indispensable at country level are probably the best players in the pitch and then they come to a scenario where they're surrounded by their peers who are of the same and nobody, not everyone can start. So the, you have to try to balance the guys that maybe aren't going to start, who are still fantastic players. who have still a massive role to prepare everyone else to be ready for that test series. And and that is the, probably the, the hardest one, is to keep people on tour, so to speak.
0: And of all the teams you've played with, both provincial, club, national lines, where do you think the kind of the the, the, the social fabric or the, the collaboration or teaming was at its best? And where didn't it work so well?
3: I think ultimately the first thing you need is the right people. If you get the right players in an organization and they have a, a line goal and th- they want to get there and um, then that is the best teams i've been involved in i have played in teams that probably have better individual players but ultimately haven't been as successful because there's not the alignment they don't they think it's about them it's not about the collective and the best teams i've played in recognizes that it's the strengths and the collective coming together that forms this, this team and that the winger that scores, that tries, he gets the headlines, but he also acknowledges the work that maybe some of the front row do in the lead up to that, to get the quick ball, to allow them to score. And, and it's ultimately a, an organism that, that moves and is fluid and everybody has mutual respect for each other
0: i wanted names um and i wanted years and i wanted specifics there rory in terms of best and worst uh, but look we won't get into it we won't get into it um you you and i spoke last week and um we actually got speaking about the um the michael jordan documentary on netflix so you're watching it guys so rory was a couple of episodes ahead of me and i caught up with you since right and you explained the scenario where michael jordan's drive for results came at a cost and that cost was uh at the cost of his, of his relationships with his teammates and i think that ran deep with him uh, it was certainly was the closest he came to crying uh, in fact when he looked back and he heard it do you think looking at your own history rory was there ever a time where the kind of your personal pride got in the way of the collective purpose or as your drive for performance or success has it ever come at a cost or or, or how do you look back in your career i think top level sport is,
3: is- a bit unique to other businesses in that there's almost a, a need that you need to say exactly how you're feeling at the time, and it flares up quite quickly and dies off quite quickly. So, there's been times when, like, I remember we played for Ulster, and there was a scrum half the week before, had presumed the game was over, he kicked the ball into touch, the referee had gone not over yet. We're we'll play the line out. The next week we played in the European Cup. Big away game for us. It was an important win. And we're a couple of points ahead and the scrum half is there standing over the ball. sort of asking the referee, taking forever. So probably not the right thing to do. I came up behind him and basically kicked him in the backside. I told him to get the effing ball off the pitch. We need to win this game. And I think that that spilled over off the pitch a little bit because that person then presumed that I disliked him off the pitch because of the way I'd racked on the pitch. And I think I saw that a bit with Michael Jordan in terms of the standards and how hard he pushed everyone on the court. That some people weren't able to differentiate between that's him pushing me because he needs to be the best he can be and he needs to drag me with him versus the guy that's off the pitch and i don't know what he's like off the court but off the pitch i'm a lot more relaxed and i'd like to think i'm a lot less grumpy but when you get to that moment where in a sporting context it feels like life or death at that one moment you will do whatever it takes to win and sometimes
0: that spills over into a little bit of aggro with your teammates uh, and also on yourself, like uh, I was reading about this famous story, Rory, where it was against the All Blacks, where you broke an arm in a tackle. Um, you held your arm, you regrouped, and you played on. Um, do, you, do you ever think, like I know you, the cliche of putting your body on the line, like like Bob played um, college football, American football, they've all helmets and pads, it's barely get injured. You know what I mean? Um, but in a real sport like rugby, um, like you must look back and think, like decisions you make where you back yourself to do it, when you're not at your best. I suppose an empty lantern can't provide any light. Like, do, do you think sometimes the personal drive gets in the way of the collective achievement? I think sometimes you take yourself to a place
3: where and you get yourself ready to play when you're probably not and you mentally convince yourself you're ready to play. And there is times you look back and you go, would the next guy in my position Fully fit be a better prospect for the team probably but you're in yourself and your competitive nature you go I want to play I want I need to play in this and that that drives you and I think the flip of that is it if you take that away from somebody do they become the same athlete do they become the same competitor and for me there's also when you get your best players on the pitch it's almost a mental thing for the rest of the team. If you think who your best player is, if he's playing at 70%, the next guy might be potentially better as a player, but the knock-on effect to the your team and the opposition team of not having your key
0: player psychologically can be quite big and can actually offset. We spoke about a discretionary effort uh, and you touched on the, the on-pitch leadership piece there, Rory. Um, Of all the coaches you've worked with, uh, who got the best out of you, and why do you think so? It it
3: was Joe Smith, um, and it's quite easily because he was the one that, two things, he showed me that the importance of the team and the collective, and that it wasn't about the headline grabbers, it was about everyone working, sacrificing to make the team unit a better unit, and he also showed us that that repetition and what you do in training and practice matters in a game and that you might train badly for a week and you'll get away with it maybe in a game, maybe the next game. But eventually, over time, these corners you cut or mistakes you made will manifest itself and it ultimately manifests itself in the biggest games, in the most important moments, because that's when the pressure comes on and that's when you ultimately go back to what is your sort of your innate response to that situation um so he really drove training like would be on the pitch shouting putting pressure on you and trying to replicate as much as possible what it was going to be like in the game at the weekend
0: you you remind me of a, a, a famous military quote around you don't rise to the occasion you rise to the level of training that you've put in um, thanks for that, Royal I'll come back to you now in a few minutes. Bob, I'll come to you if I may. Um, and Sorry about the, uh, the slacking of the uh, American football. Uh, I see a comment here. I'm lucky there's an ocean in between us, which I am. Um, but all the cliches around leadership. There's so many from NASA, aren't there? Um, and you think of like, Houston, we've got a problem. And like all these famous quotes that are quoted in leadership books and so on. What do you see? So you've been in the military. You've been in energy and, and now in NASA. What do you see as being the kind of unique leadership qualities at NASA, Bob?
1: So I I think there's some, you know, we talked a little bit about it briefly, and I think we may have discussed this previously. You talk about, you know, leadership having true concern for their employees. Um, That can't be faked. It has to be genuine. It has to be authentic. You have to invest the time and the energy and the commitment to take care of your folks. I think that's absolutely critical. I think for the employees, they're engaged in the work, you know, Um, I think their engagement is their passion, the things that they're able to do. If there's one thing that's, you know, very interesting about NASA specifically, there is an innate sense of purpose in a commitment or a desire or passion, however you want to say it, for solving problems, solving hard problems. You know, I think that is just sort of key and core to who we are. It's something that you find in every employee at NASA. I think it's that bias for action. Um, You talked a little bit about, you know, and I've heard this and I I shudder a little bit when I hear this conversation about COVID-19 about, well, we're on a warlike footing. I'm not sure, you know, um, having been there and done a little bit of that, um, you can't sustain that level of effort over a long period of time without without breaking you know if so if you're talking about we're going to attack this problem as if we were going to war sort of a thing i think there has to be greater understanding that that's a heck of a commitment um, as we're attacking these problems you got to be all in i agree but there also should be recognition from an individual's perspective that it's not a sustainable tempo it's not a sustainable sort of concept of action sort of going forward and again, I think, Robbie, one of the most important things that we've talked about, it again, is, you know, believing in positive intent, believing in people you're working with are doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, um, and how life changing that can be.
0: But 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 equally, I'm also reminded of um, but, but equally, I'm an I'm example, of the, of, recently, um, Bob, of crowdsourcing ideas and the process through which, like everyone has a voice and the um. Yeah, crowdsourcing and the process, a robust process around uh, like having uh, healthy conflict and challenge amongst conflict, people, uh, to, people arrive the uh, uh, to arrive at a decision. It bypasses political impasse quite political often, and often and make the decision, and legitimate. Make the decision and legitimate. And you often speak about and you often just that speak about your team. Just that in your team.
1: Yeah. So you know the concept of having the best idea win, and that can come from the most junior person that's involved with a project or program. Um, I think you always have to be willing to examine the alternative Um, and having a constructive dissent process where someone says, hey, you know what, I don't I don't agree with what we're doing. And let's have that conversation. And again, getting back to what Rory and what I think Heath have touched upon, sometimes ego gets in the way here. It's not about rank. It's not about position. It's about what's the right idea for this organization, what's the right idea for our country, what's the right idea for the world. As we're furthering exploration, you know, to the moon and beyond. So it really ha- you really have to have a process that allows all voices to be heard. It can be draining sometimes, you know, because you may say, you know what, it's pretty clear, I, I see the answer is A. Um, but as you go through this process, and it's a fairly well-developed process, you know, I think you could find maybe the right answer is an A, maybe it's something a little bit different. Again, I think it gets us also back to the conversation about risk. You know, when we talk about Houston, we have a problem, right? And failure is not an option. The Dean Kranz quote, very famous. Um, Well, I don't know if that's necessarily entirely true all the time, right? There are certain things that we do like human exploration. Risk is a one-way door. You have to be right. 100% of the time, we accept no deviation from these things and you go through that door and you're committed right you launch you launch a spacecraft you are committed it isn't like you're gonna say yeah, you know let's try again tomorrow oh maybe you do actually sometimes um there are other opportunities when you're evaluating risk from an organizational perspective where it's hey we can try and we can fail and we can learn from the failure what isn't acceptable in those circumstances is not learning from the failure if you learn from the failure and you can fix what you've been doing, you end up with a better process, program, procedure, whatever it might be going forward. I think there is value in that. I think there's great value in that.
0: If if Julia is beyond you and listening to what you're speaking, I think you should look to poach Keith's uh, tech support guys. They look uh, to be doing a great job there. Um, thanks for that, Bob. Um, just working and building on the theme of leadership, uh, Heath, I, I was reading extracts recently from Simon Sinek's book, the infinite game, and he argues that leaders with an an infinite mindset um, outdo those with a finite mindset. Uh, How do you think that logic applies to the stage of the crisis or recovery we're in at the minute?
2: Yeah, so the the premise is that, you know, business um, is an infinite game. That there really is, when you think about it, you know whether you're NASA or whether it's you know sports or anything else. That that it's really an infinite game. Uh, it's an infinite game in the sense that, you know, the the rules are always changing. The players come and go, and there's no there's no true finish line. I mean, even when you think about the Bulls, um, you know, six championships was that the finish line? Not really. If you listen to Michael at the end, he wanted to keep going. I mean, they ended early, so it was it ended up being a finite game. Um, And so the idea in the infinite game is those leaders, those organizations, you know, when you adopt this infinite mindset, when you think of yourself as a steward of an organization, as opposed to, I need to win and I need to figure out how to gain the most. And you start thinking about how can I deliver the most value? that's a game changer because then you are now tapping into that discretionary energy. You're tapping into the imagination and the innovation, and you're in a situation, just as Bob described, it could be the lowest level employee who has the most brilliant idea. That's an infinite mindset where you have trusting teams, where you have a cause that you believe in, where you're willing to pivot and demonstrate what Simon calls existential flexibility. You know These are not unprecedented times. Organizations have faced challenges before. It's just, All of us are facing this challenge at the same time, but in slightly different ways. Um, And we see the infinite game as just a playbook really for COVID-19 and and surviving and thriving and moving on. You know, one of the things I like about the infinite game is that we can we can acknowledge that our lives are finite, but life is infinite. In other words, it keeps on going. And if you play by infinite rules. You ask yourself a different set of questions than if you play by finite rules, you play by finite rules and you're asking yourself, the main question is what can I achieve? What can I gain? How much power can I accumulate? How much money can I make? What kind of position can I get to or rise to? Um, But if you play by infinite rules, you're asking yourself a completely different set of questions. Now you're asking yourself, how can I make the people around me better? How can I improve the lives of the people that I interact with? What kind of difference am I making? And I think that's the game changer. And when you have adopt that mindset, now you're really able to tap into the imagination and the innovation, really able to tap into everyone's discretionary energy. And over the long-term, I can't promise the short-term, but over the long-term, those organizations, those leaders with that mindset are going to to do better than those who don't.
0: But the long-term heat is only a series of short-terms um and
2: clearly interconnected absolutely and i'll just add one thing you know when we think of the infinite game it's not one or the other there are a series of finite games that we are playing inside of the infinite game but life is an infinite game relationships are an infinite game marriage is an infinite game education healthcare. um there is going to be another side to covid and to the coronavirus there will be another side the question is are we going to emerge stronger Are we going to emerge more resilient? Are we going to emerge feeling better about ourselves than when it started? That's the question. And I think the infinite mindset will help us get there.
0: Interesting. In so many ways, it reminds me, Rory, I'll come to you um, of the World Cup and the the game plan uh, that you Guys, or the squad had, and I, I know afterwards, um, you, you had obviously a very strong view in terms of expressing the leadership on the pitch, and it probably is into that infinite stroke finite. Uh, how do you look back at that infinite plan, and like what would you or how would you like to have expressed your leadership in a more finite way during each game, Rory? I think it's funny when when Heath was speaking there,
3: it, it's brought back so many memories of the Rugby World Cup. Because, like, ultimately we got a scenario where the captain and the head coach were both finishing after the World Cup. And I don't subscribe necessarily to this whole, you can want it too much. But there was almost a little bit of that where we were we number one in the world going into the World Cup. We'd, Ireland had never got the semi-final this is a team of players that created history we didn't need to worry about evolving over the next two three four years this was about the end of october lifting a golden trophy and we almost got so focused on that that we forgot about the process and our the previous three years had all been about moment by moment within a week within a training session then into a game and that I wouldn't say went out the window and it's only when you look back and reflect now you realize that we probably got so caught up with who we we're going to play in the quarter final that we maybe lost our focus a little bit against japan and ended up on the wrong side of the draw and, and th- there was all of that and, and it's incredibly disappointing because you, you want your time again and and you don't get it um but i think there was definitely aspects of that that most definitely we became a little bit finite this is our full stop this is where we want to go we know we're good enough to get there and you know let's just hang on
0: for another two months i i, I was thinking about it even watching that documentary with the bulls there's so many parallels uh, around uh, around that drive and that kind of shared um destination stroke uh, stroke um a uh, finite game, I suppose. That's just one of the many super stories in your book, Rory. Really, it's a credit to you. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Guys, just one very quick question to each of you before we finish, just in a quick fire round. Our enduring purpose at Talent Summit is to enhance the working lives of people as the world of work changes. We've been doing this for 10 years, and we've had 10 years of change in the last number of weeks. Any, any um, tips or suggestions you would share with our listeners to help enhance the working lives of our people, Bob.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I I, I think we have to dedicate time and effort to maintaining the relationships that we have within our structures. Um, you might be working in a different way, but take the time out of a day to have a conversation that you would have had in person. You know, to talk to people in a way that. You remember they're going through something. See how they're doing. Get beyond that first question. Spend a little time and a little bit of effort. Remember that everyone's going through different things in different ways. Um, have some patience and have some compassion. Thanks, Bob. Pete?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hop on that train. Uh, just a little, you know, cut people some slack. I think we are all going through different things. You know, we can have an up day and someone else is having a bad day. I remember, you know, when I was younger, I had a friend who, you know, he was inviting me back to we're going to go visit his family and we're going to hang out. And he said, you know, just have soft eyes. And and I said, what do you mean, soft eyes? He says, don't be so judgy. Don't be so judgmental, because I think that's what hard eyes gives us. It gives us this judgment. It gives us this narrow like it has to be a certain way. And soft eyes is you open yourself up a little bit. You open your heart. You open your mind and you you maybe try to see things from other people's perspective, because you know what? Nobody has it all. And the grass always is greener on the other side. So, and which is not true, by the way, the grass is green where you water it. Cut people some slack, soft eyes. It'll go a long way. Well, said, he. thank you. Rory? Yeah, I think it's very similar.
3: I think it doesn't feel like it, but there are positives uh, around this. And for me, it's been spending time with the family. I've been away so much my eldest son will turn 10 next month and to actually just spend time with them and and almost feel like you're getting to know them again um, and not being pulled from pillar to post to have to be here to have to cut this time short so we're trying to focus on some of the positives and, and look that's the rest is there and yeah we're enjoying
0: family time The treadmill has slowed, Rory, hasn't it? And and if we water the grass and make our own grass greener, as Heath said, it probably allows us to be a bit more compassionate, uh, to Bob's point. Rory, Heath says that managers grow numbers and leaders make their people rise. Thank you for your 126 battles uh, for Ireland and for making a nation rise. Um, Heath, Bob mentioned positive intent. Uh, thanks for doing that with us and the, and the spirit in which you've collaborated, it's truly appreciated. And to round it out, um, Rory spoke with Pride and Purpose, Bob. Um, we're very proud collaborators and uh, with NASA and your enduring purpose has gone a long way to help us realise um, our purpose in enhancing the working lives uh, of our people and for all of our viewers and all of our community at Talent Summit. And for that, I want to thank the three of you and to wish all of you success in your um, in your own um, journey and to wish you uh, enduring good health to you and yours. Thank you for joining us, guys. That was really, really insightful and very fascinating.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you, Rob, for putting this together. Just fantastic. And just a shout-out to Sigmar, just an incredible organization. Everything's been fantastic. There, I said it. Thank you, guys. <laughs>
0: 10 out of 10. Thank Thanks you very me. much. Thanks, Rory. Thanks, Bob. Um, to all of you, Uh, Join join us next week um, where we'll be exploring reworking work um, with the global HR powerhouse and good friend Paddy McCord, who's the author uh, and TED speaker and the former CTO of Netflix and the co-creator of the Netflix culture deck. Uh, We'll be looking at building a culture of freedom and responsibility. Until then, keep well. Thank you.